Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Friday, May 19th, 2023, and this is the return of my original co-host. Welcome back to Second and Short, Mr. Brock Garland. Hey, how are you doing? This is Brock's first full episode since episode 31 on March 8th of 2023, and what better time to return than with the ACC falling apart, we get the announcement <laughs> of NCAA football uh, coming in September of 2024, so we might as well just kick it off with the college football news. Of course, yes. All right, well, let's kick it off with the ACC because it might be going away. It might not. Some people want to dissolve it. Some people want to reform everything, but let's kind of get the basis of knowledge set up. So the Magnificent Seven, as they're calling them, uh, the Magnificent Seven schools are Clemson, FSU, Miami, UNC, NC State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. That's the team that's going to be referred to as the Magnificent Seven. They're the seven teams that are against, um, I guess, all of the ACC's stuff that's going on. Are you surprised by any of the teams on here? Uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech, I'm very surprised seeing them on there. Not really having too much success in most any sport recently. Very surprised seeing them on here, but... Again, with the, with this, I'm actually very surprised they're all trying to break away from the ACC. I was not expecting them to have that much uh, issue. Yeah, I, I'm definitely surprised to see Virginia and Virginia Tech being ones that are kind of disagreeing with this revenue share. But when you think about it outside of just football, Virginia should be there because of basketball prominence. Um, but I'm surprised to see Duke or not see Duke here. Um, they're a team mainly because of basketball where, yes, of course, they make a ton of revenue, but they could be making significantly more. But otherwise, you know, it wouldn't make too much sense for those like bottom half teams. But just to get more details here, the Magnificent Seven schools have met the past several months with lawyers examining the grant of rights to determine how unbreakable it really is to see what they could change in the ACC. But uh, the Florida State athletic director, who kind of looks like the leader of these efforts, um, has called for an unequal revenue sharing. And his backup for that is because University of Central Florida is going to make more than FSU and Miami in a single year. That is outrageous. Yeah, that is insane, especially Florida State and Miami, who both have been around uh, more prominent sports and been around much longer in sports than uh, UCF. Again, I think um, this is really more the trying to break away. That's like they're using that as a just a way to try and make more money, of course. But um, like you said, it's FSU and Miami do need to be making more than University of Central Florida because they are much more dominant programs. They attract definitely way more money than UCF would. So I definitely agree with them wanting to get more money and fixing the the how they allot it to everyone. However, I, I also believe the ACC is going to still be a team, uh, still be a conference at the end of the day. Yeah, like it's hard to just get rid of a Power Five conference. <laughs> There's a ton of money pumped into it, TV deals. Like it would take years and years for everything associated with the ACC to actually like level out and allow these teams to just leave. And like their contract goes through, I believe, 2036. So it's it's pretty far out that they'd be doing these things, but. It looks like this weighted revenue distribution model is getting support from the higher-ups at the ACC. The 
That was confirmed by FSU's AD, Michael Alford. Um, there's been a bunch of different models discussed, but he said that the merit-based model on postseason success could lead to more than $10 million in additional yearly revenue for a successful program. So it's not just that they, you know, like Florida State's mad because, you know, they were good for a year and everybody's like, oh, we should be making more money. I, I think it's more that teams that do well year in and year out need to be rewarded for that. And I think we see that in other conferences. Every team gets rewarded well and they don't have a problem with it because there's so much money pumped into them. But I just feel like the ACC isn't getting that same kind of treatment. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Um, let's see. So one of the reporters asked Michael Alford about speculation about the future of the ACC. He said that a lot of it is overblown and the future of the ACC, um, you know, in that room, they're all together. They're coming up with solutions. So it's not as much that they're trying to dissolve this anymore. That was kind of like the rumor months and months ago when this all started that, you know, Florida State and Clemson and Miami were teaming up to dissolve the ACC so that they could leave. But you know, it seems more just like they're trying to settle these issues that have come up, and um, I don't blame them at all. Yeah, no, they should be making the money that they deserve. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it, they are some of the biggest anchors of the conference. They deserve the money that they deserve. <laughs> yeah, and, and so the way that um, the ACC's leaders, uh, namely Jim, Jim Phillips here, said, um, you know, that's not a warning sign. These schools are under a lot of pressure And the reality is that their conference is third in the country in media rights distribution, and they want to close the gap between the top two conferences. So I think that, you know, if the ACC could make that kind of push, which they're a prominent conference across all of college sports Mm -hmm. when it comes to down to everything, because you have, you know, UNC and Duke and Virginia and basketball, and you have, you know, even in baseball, they have a couple of competitors and, you know, into like women's sports, like women's softball. Florida State's won a national championship in the last couple of years. Women's soccer, UNC and Florida State are always good. Like across all college sports, the ACC is a mainstay and they think that they should be getting more money as a conference and as individual schools, which I fully believe is true. Yeah, I mean, you you hit every point there. I fully agree with you. But I do want to ask you this question. If they were to dissolve the ACC. Where do you think some of those lower tier teams would land? Because like fucking Syracuse isn't making it into the big 10 and they're not making it into the SEC. Like well, I, teams I, like that, it doesn't seem like they'd have a landing spot. I think you'd have, uh, if it, let's just say it all were to go to hell and they were to dissolve. I believe all the Southern teams would most likely probably end up the SEC and to, to fight against that. The Big Ten would take in teams like West, uh, West For- or, uh, Wake Forest, yeah. Syracuse, Purdue, or Purdue's already there. But uh, those teams, I think, would end, they would take those in just to make a competition towards the, or the SEC. Yeah, because like, at this point, it feels like we're looking at the Big Two with yeah. the Big Ten and the SEC because the Pac-12 is constantly getting poached now. And the Big 12, like, yeah, they're bringing in – the, the group of five schools to grow their conference, but at some point you lose Texas, you lose Oklahoma, you know, who's next? Who mm-hmm. else is going to leave? Because there's really no telling. you. There's a possibility that you're going to lose Iowa State. They could end up jumping to the Big Ten. West Virginia could jump to the Big Ten. Like, there's a bunch of schools around there, and, you know, who knows? The, the SEC is now stretched all the way to Oklahoma. 
maybe they start picking off more Texas teams. Maybe we see TCU. Maybe we see Oklahoma State in the SEC, and it just becomes two 40-team conferences that are just absolute powerhouses. Yeah, and that's something that I'm that is almost like a fear to me because that would be just terrible. That would yeah. almost ruin uh, all of sports. And I think I don't think conferences really should have ever gotten bigger than fourteen teams. I think that's a good amount right there, and it keeps it even. Despite the SEC being able to dominate through over the years it, and it being fourteen, I think that's the best for that is the best for everyone to be able to compete at almost an equal level. There's never going to be equal in sports because they're especially in certain sports like in football, the Southeast is where almost every single major prospect comes from and they want to stay near their home. Yeah. So you're going to have a couple unfair things like that. But right now I think we're almost as, as fair as it can get. Yeah, I think so. I think that the way that it's distributed and like, obviously, you know, we haven't seen many titles in, you know, the last decade come anywhere, but the sec and then, you know, Ohio State. (laughs) So, and like, you know, the Big 12 has has been around and the ACC has won one, but it it just seems like it's still the SEC and the Big 10 dominating. And the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC have been put on this back burner that, you know, they're still competitive schools. They still end up, you know, some of them are going to beat them in bowl games, like things like that. I think that, you know, if we can close that gap, if if the money can start flowing into these other schools, in these other conferences, it makes college football that much better. Well, I think you kind of said it there per- like exactly perfect there is the where the money ends up is the SEC. I mean, you look at every SEC facility, Ole Miss just put in a multi-million dollar expansion to their already brand new football facility the Manning Center to make it even nicer, even newer for the recruits. Everyone's seen the LSU, Georgia. Miami just Mi- got the one from the Rock. Yeah. You see all these giant, extreme, multi-million dollar facilities for these football players. Why would you want to go anywhere else? They're going to pamper you and treat you like a king. Exactly. But let's talk about NCAA football. It is expected to return in 2024. I don't know if I'm quite ready to fall for that yet, but... It looks like all of the FBS football players will be able to be in the game. Uh, EA Sports has partnered with one team to handle the NIL rights for any FBS player who's eligible to be in the game. So I think that that makes the game ten times better mm-hmm. than what it you know what it once was. Obviously, oh, the yeah. nostalgia is there because you got to play some college football. Yeah. But if we can start putting the names in. Why, why would I not want to play, you know, Dynasty with USC and sling the ball across the field with Caleb Williams when, you know, I used to be playing <laughs> Dynasty with whoever had the coolest jerseys because my quarterback, no matter what, was going to be quarterback number seven. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what qualifies you to be in the game. Do you have to be a first or second string starter? Like, or because, of course, it's before the year, you know. Yeah. So I'm very intrigued to see how they're going to go about that, who all will be in the game. And like you said, they've only partnered with one team to get all the qualified so, people so, in there. Yeah, so so one team is the the company that's helping them out. Mm. Um, and, and they're, I, I believe, forming like an NIL collective, essentially, okay. to work with every single team in the FBS, figure out rights. And I think when it comes down to it, eligible players are just going to be players on their roster. And it's just going to be up to 
if they want to sign their NIL rights, which yeah. why would you not want to be a part of a video game? Now, like, did, even if you're a third stringer, <laughs> your name is in NCAA. Oh, yeah. And do you think this might want, end up forming almost like a how the NFL has the Players Association? See, that's that's the problem here is is college athletes unionizing because I, I, I personally don't see it as a problem. I see it as a huge roadblock in what we have right now mm-hmm. because that, you know, that ends up being the schools are paying them. And then, you know, what comes out of that, there's really no telling, but yeah. you know, it, it's so like, it, it's touchy. You know, if you, if you make the wrong move with this, you're going to fuck up the college football landscape for the rest of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it's a it's a tough thing to to you know say before it happens. You know how that yeah. would go. I'm very intrigued to see how this goes, and I think before the this goes back to 2020 when they allowed NIL, they definitely should have started. They should have put more in place. Like all right, the school can do this much, the the team can do this much, their agents can do this much. You know, however it works, they should have done a lot. They should have gone into it a lot more than just saying here you go, be free. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was very like, it was crazy for the first couple of you know months, even the mm-hmm. first year that we've seen of NIL and to today, it's not regulated enough. It appears yeah. like right now, you know, as we're talking, Jalen Carter, his whole situation, they're suing the company that supplied him the car through an NIL deal while he was street racing in the whole Devin Willock situation. So like this makes this company liable because they're, you know, they have an athlete that's representing their brand just by driving a car that they gave him. And like, it didn't seem like he needed to do anything for them. Mm. They were just like, here's a car. And now they're part of a multi-million dollar lawsuit against, you know, numerous people with this whole situation. So it's, it's very hard to, you know, figure out, you know, what is an NIL deal compared to just giving out gifts? Because, like, we saw the issue with Jim Harbaugh. He bought some kid a burger. And they're trying to, like, tag him for, like, tampering stuff. Like, it, it's, it, it's like free reign right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just feel like I, I, it needed to happen as soon as possible. They needed to allow NIL as soon as possible. But there should have been much better regulations put in place. Yeah, um, again, they literally said, here you go, we're going to just, this is a, this is an experiment. Have fun, and then after a while, we'll come in and start seeing what needs to be done. I mean, there were so many questions, even now, that, are at, that can be asked about it. I think they really, they probably should, I think they honestly should start like, very restricted, and then yeah. slowly re- reeling it back, saying, okay, this is a good level right here. We should not go any farther than this. Then just saying, hey, here you go. Go find your own agent. Go find your own this. Because, I mean, I think Nick Saban said it like it. These are only 18 to 22 year old boys. Uh, we're that age. Yeah. I do not think I am nearly responsible enough to be able to be dealing with multi, possibly multi million dollars. Yeah. Well, like, think about it, guys. Like Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers reclassified so we could graduate early to get an NIL deal and then go to Ohio State doesn't play once, and then transfers. Mm -hmm. Like, this could serve him poorly because he made this decision, and it seemed it was primarily based on making money. And it was a huge, huge contract, but, 
was it worth, you know, being like uh, he was 17 years old making that decision? Obviously, I would assume his family was involved, but that is ridiculous. Yeah, I think the school should be able to be like, hey, we have our own collective, whatever. And then from here, you will get an agent or we have an agent works for everybody. You will get one. He will help. Like we he's through the school. He's trusted. We know he has his best interest for you. So you're not going to get screwed. Yeah, and that's how they should do it through almost through the school. Yeah, there, or through the conference. There should not be a college football player that is representing themselves in nil negotiations. Yeah, because either they could get screwed over, you know, money could be an, an issue with them. They couldn't use it responsibly. Like, there's so many reasons why people need agents because, like, you know, people hear about like Lamar Jackson represents himself with the NFL. He has advisors, mm-hmm. and, and so does everybody else. Laramie Tunsil, Roquan Smith, these guys that have represented themselves haven't really represented themselves. Maybe it's just them in the negotiating room with the front office, but they've got people in their ear throughout this process, and so do numerous people, and I think that that's something that college athletes need, and if the schools are willing to provide it, I think that's the safest way to go about yeah. it. I think what we're going to end up seeing here in the next – probably 10 years is almost an NFL style in college football where they're going to have a front office. You're going to have a basically a GM. a GM who is in charge of all the money, who's in charge of all that. And I think that's if you're going to do this, that's going to be the best way to go about it because, again, these kids are too I, – I would have put myself in the two. I would be way too young yeah. to understand and do this properly. So I think you're going, they're going to have to put these – and. Put in a G. I wonder who the first college is going to be who does it. Yeah, I have a feeling it would be. It's probably going to start at the bottom. It's going to be like a either a, a low D one, maybe mm-hmm. like FCS level team that you know they just they have a couple of guys on the squad that have gotten some small NIL deals and maybe haven't realized you know what they need to do mm-hmm. to go about it, or they're you know they're interested in finding some and they haven't found any yet, like. Figuring out, and I know that a lot of schools have like their NIL compliance office and things like that that can help them and give them resources. But if you have somebody genuinely representing these student athletes with these negotiations, I think it's a much cleaner process. Yes. Another thing I want that I support there being a GM in college football now is the coaches should have nothing to do, nothing to do with the money side. They and no part ever and i'm picking on certain coaches i'm sure they've been like hey we can give you a million dollars right now if you sign <laughs> with uh florida <laughs> yeah there are a couple places where they say if you come here we will give you 1.85 million dollars you sign right now money's in your pocket coaches should have nothing to do with that i'm not, i don't know if the coach was a part of that or yeah, however it went but when it comes to that they need to have someone if because of course that's gonna be that's a big question i was how am i gonna make my money that's where that's a big part of it. So it should be, all right. The coach only talks about football. You come here, I can get you to the NFL, where you're going to make twice as much you'll make in college. I'll get, I'll develop you, whatever. And then you can have a meeting with the NIL. Said these are our people. This is what they want from you. If you come here, these people can give you this. Yeah, I, I think that that works the best. And you know, having a gym would help with the transfer portal mm-hmm. because at this point, it's like free agency every yes. year. Anybody can leave whenever they want to wherever they want essentially. And I think that 
having like a GM position, you know, maybe it's not the same kind of, it's not the same kind of GM as the NFL because, no. you know, you're not offering contracts and you're not, you know, dealing with you know, who's on the roster, who's not, that's not your you know place, but kind of managing the transfer portal and managing your players, like all of that, it can't just be the head coaches and it can't just be like these guys that work in the athletics department or work in, you know, your football department. Mm-hmm. It's got to be somebody whose actual job is to be the general manager of football at your university and be the general manager of basketball at your university. Because, you know, those are the two two sports, at least, where the transfer portal and NIL is at least blown up on a big platform. You know, we're not really talking much about the transfer portal being crazy in baseball or mm-hmm. in, you know, softball or any other sports. It doesn't seem like the transfer portal is that big. But like it's, you know, it's kind of expanding. People are seeing how much people move around in, you know, men's basketball or in football. And now like the women's basketball transfer portal has become a big thing. Like the biggest one being, uh, I believe, Haley Van Lith from Louisville transferring to LSU right after they win a championship. Like Mm -hmm. there is scenarios forming all over college sports. And I think that that's what's going to really encourage the NCAA to have universities have, you know, general managers or at least somebody who manages all of this. Yeah. <laughs> because again, like you said, that is way too much to put on anybody that's currently working on one of these sports teams. Because as someone who were, is involved in a football program, each person has so much on their plate already. I couldn't imagine having to deal with the NIL aspect of it. Yeah. And especially in other sports like basketball, baseball, they're, they only get half of what, the football programs get because they don't they don't make as much money so there's not as enough funding for it so there should be a position like we've talked like we just said a gm to help yeah i totally agree but let's talk real quick um about the pac-12 i think the last time you were on an episode we talked about the pac-12's tv deal and how this just was not happening for some reason they were linked to like the cw they were linked to um (laughs) Oh, dude, what was the one? Like Ion or yeah, something? Yeah, I think yeah. it was Ion. And it's like, okay, what what is going on right now with the Pac-12? But um, this actually got confirmed by the Arizona State Athletic Director, Ray Anderson. He said that he expects the Pac-12 TV deal to be complete in July or August. Um, and that will also be followed likely by expansion. Most likely the two teams that at least the Arizona State Athletic Director mentioned being San Diego State and SMU. I'm not a fan of SMU. You told me before the episode, you're not a fan of SMU going. But, you know, at this point, the Pac-12 needs to draw in as much as they can because they're losing their top two. And I think for SMU, this is a great move because they're going up making more money. However, it's like we talked about with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. You're going to have to fly from East Texas all the way to... Washington. Yeah, Seattle, Washington, <laughs> or wherever the heck yeah. uh, the University of Washington is. I mean, that's a far flight. That And, again, it goes back to, okay, for football Fridays, you know, you fly out Friday night, and then you come back Sunday. Now, that's completely different for men's basketball, or, heck, women's tennis, yeah. who plays on a Tuesday night exactly. at 3 o'clock. You know, how, that's so bad for the student-athlete, and that's going to – so I think, yes, for money, they're going to be making more money, but does it make more sense for them to just stay in a more geographical conference? However, they already are going across country right now being the American conference. Yes. So yeah, like, is it a big 
change for them going from traveling all the way up to Annapolis, Maryland, you know, just for, instead of going all the way over there, they just go to the other side of the country. Yeah, it's just like, it's all, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, how much is it really going to affect them? Who knows? There's really no way to tell. We don't know how much, you know, uh, this is kind of the best example, how long the trip is or, you know, how it's going to change a player when, you know, Rutgers flies to UCLA for a Friday night Pac-12 football game. Yeah. Like, what is that going to do to those players from Rutgers? They're probably going to lose because they're playing UCLA, but don't underrate the Scarlet Knights. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's, you know, we don't know how that's going to affect a college athlete, mm-hmm. but what we do know is that, like, once again, they're children, essentially. Okay, they're adults, whatever. I'm an adult, too. I'm 20 years old. And the government size. I'm the same age as not. these people. I, I'll tell you what, for, you know, theoretically an extracurricular activity at my college, I would not like to go on, you know, a seven-hour plane ride to go yeah. do it. And it's definitely going to throw me off a little bit. So there's really no telling. There's no way to measure how it affects these players. But it's very obvious that this could be a problem. Yeah, well, and I was thinking about this while you're talking, is they're already having to travel across the country in their co- current conference, so why not make double what you're making so then you can provide more as acad- not only academic assistance, but any other assistance they may need. Health, I mean, because I think that's going to be a really big thing, is yeah. the the athlete's body condition. not Because, of course, this will affect their academics as well, and their college athletes, you know, students first. However... Sports make the money. <laughs> so they're going, it's going to really affect their bodies having to travel out, only get three hours to warm up, prepare their bodies to go play a football game, basketball game, whatever it may be. So making the more money, I think it could kind of just, you probably might not see any difference at all because yeah. they're able to get better equipment, better at trainers, and all those things that go into uh, superior athletes. Yeah. I, I think like a big thing that, professional athlete unions have is like insurance things like that that really help these students or you know help the athletes and you know if and it almost in a sense seems unfair but everything that student athletes get compared to a student at a college gets seems unfair to the students but if they are unionized they could supply them things like that but my biggest roadblock right now with either unionizing or schools directly paying athletes is what, what are they going to take away? Mm -hmm. What are the colleges themselves going to take away as an accommodation from these players? Are they going to take away like, you know, um, you know, kind of like unlimited access to athletic trainers? Are they going to take away, you know, this meal a day? Are they like, there's things that they could pull away because it's like, okay, well we're paying you use Mm -hmm. that money for it. So I I don't know. It's, it's very, like testing to see, you know, how far are the universities willing to go to kind of make it a point like if the NCAA comes to them and says, okay, you guys are making this money, you now have to pay these athletes, then, you know, where is the NCAA going to back down if this college is like, okay, well, we'll take this away from them. Yeah. And, and now they have to pay for it or they have to find somewhere else to do this. Well, I think um, for that, it, I, I don't support the college paying at all. The college should yeah. not pay the athlete. I think it should be strictly sponsorship deals, things like that. Because if you look at the LSU annual athletic report came out, only three sports 
made money. Every other sport they have, I believe it was 10 more sports they sponsor, maybe more, made negative. Made less than what they're doing. And all these sports were, be able, were able to be sponsored through the LSU football fund. Because they made $56 million off of LSU football. And combined, all the other sports lost a net of $30 million. So and then that leaves twenty million left over, which goes to paying coaches, paying the athletic staff, training staff, paying everybody that helps keep everything running. So I don't think at any point should the university have to take money out of that to go to paying uh, the athletes. That's all. Of that should be through the NIL. That should be uh, through something else. Yeah. And that's why we go b- circle back to why this is this is why we need a GM to help do all that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we need at universities, even right now, no matter what comes in the future, is people that are on the athlete's side. Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem right now, yes. is that there's not enough people within your university that are representing these athletes. Yeah, there's coaches that can vouch for them, and there's you know the athletic director could be on their side, but what about when they're not? Who is going to help these athletes do something? Because it's hard to find support if... The highest level isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that that's kind of kind of conclude this conversation, <laughs> but I, I really like some of the points we brought up. But let's get into a little bit more argument. <laughs> <laughs> the updated Heisman Trophy odds came out, Oof. and we'll start. Um, I don't even know how many people are in this list, but um, we're going to start at the plus 1,800 odds players. J.J. McCarthy. Michigan's quarterback and Joe Milton, Tennessee's quarterback, both at plus eighteen hundred. What's your take on JJ McCarthy? I don't think he belongs there. I mean, I know we're gonna. I may spoil, go ahead and spoil the list a little bit, but he's on here on the highest odds, and one of his teammates who finished a pretty, I'm pretty sure, pretty highly in the voting last year. Yeah, Blake Corum did pretty well. Is not near the top. Yeah, where where is that? I mean. Looking at this list, I'm very confused with how players like Quinshawn Judkins or KJ Jefferson aren't higher than him. He did good last year, yeah, but I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to make that same, uh, be the same as they were last year. Yeah, I, I think that there is so many players where it's like, how do we know they're going to be like this? Because we saw JJ McCarthy last year, nothing about him gives me this Heisman idea. He didn't make Heisman plays. He didn't have that Heisman game. We never saw that out of him. We saw it out of, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, other guys in this list, we saw it out of Michael Penix. He had numerous games. Drake May, Jordan Travis, obviously Caleb Williams won it. Like Guys like that, even Bo Nix, they had Heisman games or Heisman moments last year that at least constitute them being here. But the fact that J.J. McCarthy is here is crazy because – I have not been impressed at all by what he's done. Wasn't he a, a true freshman last year? He was either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. So he was still young either way. With that being said, that as a red, true freshman, redshirt freshman, you see him, he was just able to manage the game just fine. And then every time you see him get under pressure, he messes up, throws a pick, throw fumble, you know, runs 20 yards backwards and he can do something. None of that seemed like a like good a good enough freshman year to be like, oh, he's going to make a giant step forward. Yeah, he has a lot to learn from now, a lot of film of mistakes that he can learn from. 
However, I think it's to be another year if before I could see him possibly make learning from all that, fixing these things to be a Heisman contender. If yeah. he is to be at that spot, I don't know how great he is. Of course, I need another year before I can make a full judgment on him. Yeah, and like he wasn't even the primary starter all year. It, it like they did like a, a platoon at quarterback mm-hmm. with JJ McCarthy and I believe Cade McNamara um, for the first three or four weeks of the season. But they were still winning because of Blake Corum and um, I'm blanking on his name now. Donovan Edwards. Yeah, yeah. Donovan Edwards. Um, they were riding off the back of that, and they're riding off the back of a very good defense. And then all season, me and you talked about JJ McCarthy. Yeah, he's looked good enough, but we haven't seen a team make him throw. And when we did see teams make him throw, he didn't impress me. Yeah. I didn't see really anything from him. Again, not sound like a broken record, but he did nothing that was impressive. Nothing that was, wow, oh my gosh. He was good at managing the team when they were doing well. Once they stopped doing well, he did nothing. Yeah, but let's talk about Joe Milton because this one's interesting because we have seen Joe Milton on the field for Tennessee before. We saw him last year in the Orange Bowl. And we saw him the year before as the starter for Tennessee to start the season and then went down with injury. So we've seen what Joe Milton can do, and we know he's talented, but we haven't seen a full season of Joe Milton in his entire college career, and we're already putting him up here at plus 1,800 to win. See, I think it's the reason he got this is, like you said, we've seen not a full season of him, but we've seen enough of him to know he has the ability to make those plays, to make to be that guy, he just needs to stay healthy. And to go along with that, he also has been able to learn behind Hendon Hooker again, who had an amazing season last year. When uh, Also when he was replaced after his injury by Hendon Hooker, he got to sit back, by, sit back behind him and watch, learn, adjust his game, and to get into his – fit into his offense even better. Because this will be his now third season under uh, Halpel. And I think he is – set to make to basically pick up where Hendon Hooker left off and the Tennessee team left off. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point there. I, I think that Joe Milton certainly we've seen he has the ability to be a Heisman level quarterback, but I, I just we gotta see this season. And and I hope I hope that it goes well. I, I'm I'm like in my mind I'm rooting for Tennessee for some reason because I want to see another team in the East be good. Yes. I'm so ready to see a team in the East be good. Uh, this is a little off topic, but one team I think this season that might might shock us will be the Florida Gators. I, I don't think know, man. Graham Mertz is. <laughs> when I say shock us, Ooh. I don't mean going ten and two. I mean okay, t- seven and five. Okay, they might they might give Georgia a bit of a run for their money. Might make All it right. a close game, hey, maybe. As, as long as Florida State beats them, I don't give a <laughs> shit what they do. But let's talk about this next one because this one I think personally is more interesting than JJ McCarthy. And that's Kyle McCord of Ohio State at plus 1,600. This is far-fetched. I agree. Because he hasn't started a game yet. Mm -hmm. CJ Stroud didn't miss a single game in the two seasons that he was the starter. And now we have Kyle McCord here. And, of course, I, I think what boosts him up here is that he has targets. He has the best wide receiver in the class. He probably has... Arguably the second best wide receiver in the class as well with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Agbuka. So 
yeah, he's got the stuff there, and they have the coaching staff that has developed, you know, a, a top two draft pick now, and we just have to see what happens. But plus sixteen hundred for a guy that we haven't seen start a game in college yeah. is crazy. You said exactly my point. Crazy, he's just high because we haven't seen him, and but the reason he's this high is you you said it. He has the targets. He has the weapons. He's got an offensive line who's going to protect him and give him the opportunity to throw the ball to, as you said, the two best, arguably the best wide receivers going into the next year's draft. So he has the weapons to be great. Now it's up to can he go? Can he at least manage the game? Can he get the ball to these players? Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think that with Kyle McCord, though, if he is successful this season, I think that one of those wide receivers is going to end up being like this Mac Jones, Devontae Smith type thing, where, yes, Mac Jones had a great season because Devontae Smith was so goddamn good. Yeah. And other guys were so good on that offense. Yeah. He had what? Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, or. Uh, yeah. And uh, the Jerry Judy, right? Or no, no, Judy. No, I think Judy and Ruggs were too early, but he certainly had a ton of weapons yeah. on that team. And it was like, okay, but was it him mm-hmm. or was it these guys? And, you know, Devontae Smith ends up winning a Heisman. So I think that that would be the situation that Kyle McCord will end up in unless he just comes out and is the best quarterback in the country. Yeah, and uh, that's a big what if. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk about Jaden Daniels from LSU. Cause I think he's an interesting case. He's also at plus 1600 and we saw a great body of work from him last year. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He transferred from Arizona, Arizona state, I believe. Okay. It was one of the two. Yeah. They're basically the same. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But he transfers to LSU last year, first year under Brian Kelly for LSU and Jaden Daniels certainly looked like a great player, but we definitely saw him falter at points. Yeah. And, especially the SEC championship game. Yes. He looked pretty bad that week, and that was, you know, it it definitely wasn't their highest pressure game. I think Alabama was the highest pressure game, and they ended out coming up top, or ended ended up coming out on top. (laughs) But I I just, I don't know. I I think Jaden Daniels is very good. I don't know if he's going to be the propelling force to make LSU good this year. Yeah, I agree. He is very good at managing the game, doing what is necessary. And he can do those. He's very athletic. He can do those crazy plays. He can get out of situations. However, he is not what makes that offense great. He's got, uh, much like we are talking about with uh, the previous fella, he's got weapons. He's got a good offensive line. He's got a good running back. He has a great defense to back him up. So he has all these things surrounding him that makes him even better. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. This one, though, I really like as one that maybe I'll drop a little money on. Sam Hartman of Notre Dame at plus sixteen hundred, new transfer, came from Wake Forest. I think he's Wake, or I think he's like the ACC all-time leading passer. Yes, like something absolutely ridiculous. And now he's at Notre Dame. Notre Dame people knock them for you know being independent and not playing a conference championship and things like that. They still play good teams throughout the season. He's going to yes. face USC rivalry week. Mm-hmm. He's going to face some very good Division One Power 5 teams. And if he plays really well, the spotlight's going to be on him. This, you know, this whole new um, 
TV deal doesn't start this year. So it's still NBC for Notre Dame only. And I think that that is going to be a big thing. The media sees Notre Dame football. Yes. And if Sam Hartman can show out for Notre Dame every week of the season, just like he did for Wake Forest, the microscope will be on him. And I think it gives him good chances to at least be a finalist. I definitely think he's going to have a great step up going to Notre Dame. And I think I think he's just going to fit in good there. Yeah. yeah and like you said, boat. the biggest thing is when it comes to anything in football, and honestly anything, especially in today's, what is the media looking at? What is the media going to cover? And when they are in the primetime game, week in, week out, that's who the media is going to be paying attention to. Certainly. Uh, let's talk about Quinn Ewers. It's just, I don't know if I can believe in it yet, even though he's like a senior now. <laughs> like, I don't even know what's going on with Quinn Ewers, but at plus 1600, right now he ranks, he's tied for sixth in odds. And I guess I get it because it's Texas and everybody wants to talk about Texas and everybody does talk about Texas, but it hasn't been real good for the last couple of years when we're talking about Texas. And I don't think Quinn Ewers can be that. I don't think he's going to bring back Texas. I don't think that's the conversations we need to be having about him. I think he'll be a good quarterback because he's going to be in a good system. He's got Steve Sarkeesian, one of the best offensive court or offensive minds in the game. Him and Lane Kiffin, arguably two of the best. Uh, he will be. He has good weapons. He has... He's surrounded by a good team. I think really for him is how does this coaching impact the players he's around? Because I think we know he's he's a good quarterback at cannon on him. He can make good throws. Will he have a good enough quarterback coach to develop him into a better player? Yeah, and who really knows? But my biggest thing that takes away from what he did last year going into this year is losing Bijan Robinson, and I'm blanking on his name, but they lost their second string running back as well to the draft. So yeah. he's losing one of the best running backs we've seen in college football in years. And now he's just kind of left there to be the leader, but he's also got pressure behind him with Arch Manning. Obviously, in my opinion, Arch Manning is a name at the moment. Yes. I, I, I don't know if he's better than Quinn. I don't think Texas even knows if he's better than Quinn, but for now, Quinn Ewers has Arch Manning right on his tail. And I think that's going to make it possibly harder for Quinn Ewers to do it. Or if he can really show out and really differentiate himself and really leave Arch behind him, he could you know, make a case for it. I just think it's going to be very hard for him. I think he'll end up keeping the starting job at Texas because he's got a half a year under his belt. He's older, he's more experienced, a little more composure. Arch's biggest enemy to him is he's been, they have been following him since he was in sixth grade. He has been the next big thing. And if he goes out there and has one incomplete pass or one interception, one bad play, they're going to immediately tell him how bad he is, all of this. And that's going to be the biggest thing for him. And honestly, that's the biggest issue Quinn right now yeah. is everyone saying they he was a 1.0 recruit coming out of high school. You are the next big thing. You're the next... Peyton Manning, you're going to be this, that, the other, and he comes out as a eight, as what I think 17, nineteen, yeah, seventeen, seventeen years doesn't old. get the plays. First year transfers to Texas, plays, uh, plays gets hurt against Alabama, yeah, 
I mean, he doesn't get the time that a lot of other players get to develop and become a great athlete. Yeah, and and while we're talking about Quinn Ewers, I think that Quinn Ewers could end up being an Anthony Richardson situation Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, yeah, he played half a season, and then he played this full season, but the numbers weren't there every week. I don't think Quinn Ewers has the consistency at the moment to win a Heisman, but he has the talent. And that's the exact same thing yeah. that we saw with Anthony Richardson last year. And Anthony Richardson went fourth overall in this year's draft. So if Quinn Ewers can show the glimpses and show people that he can be a good starting quarterback, and that is on and off the field. Because I feel like we haven't heard the best stuff about Quinn Ewers off the field. Yeah, I've he, heard some stories. Yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> I have some friends that were friends with him. Exactly. So it, it sure as hell doesn't help his case when we haven't heard the best stuff off the field. Whereas throughout like the draft interview process, Anthony Richardson was getting glowing reviews. Yeah. So if Quinn Ewers comes out this year and he's the leader and the media is covering the fact that he is a locker room guy, that changes everything up for Quinn Ewers. But where we're talking about Heisman, I don't think he's getting there. I don't think he's going to get there either. And to kind of go off of that, I don't think Texas as a whole – to me, Texas has always been the place you go because that's where they're going to give you money under the table. That's where they're going to do all those little things. You don't go there because you want to play for the team. You go there because they're going to give you those things. You know? And so I kind of feel like that's still the issue there. And yeah. they and their coaches don't run their programs. The boosters do. Yeah. That's kind of been Texas' problem since, like, Mac Brown left. Yeah. And that was quite a while ago, in case you're forgetting. <laughs> but... Let's talk about Bo Nix because I would like to see him be up there by the end of it. I really liked his game last year. Yeah. He looked fantastic. If he'd have had a better game against Georgia week one, he probably is a finalist. Yeah. But I just think with the Pac-12, if you're not better than Caleb Williams or Michael Penix, you definitely aren't getting a spot as a finalist. Yeah. And I just don't think he can be better than either one of them. They're both... No hate to Bo Nix, but I think both of them are just more athletic. I mean, obviously Caleb Williams, as we saw him at Oklahoma, then at USC, he won the Heisman already. He's We know he's a great athlete. And then my, uh, Michael Penix, we saw him, amazing athlete. He's done great things. I think Bo will probably finish third in the Pac-12 behind them. Yeah, that's kind of the same boat I'm in. Because, like, yes, we saw fantastic stuff from him last year. But we also saw games where teams kind of just figured it out. Look, mm-hmm. Bo Nix has a cannon of an arm. He's a pretty good runner as well. If you can slow him down from one of those things, you got a pretty good chance. Yep. And if and, and teams get that now. Obviously, they've known that since he was at Auburn. Because I sure as hell saw some SEC defensive lines run him all over the field. <laughs> but even in the Pac-12, where pretty obviously the defenses are a little bit weaker... They're figuring him out as well, and if they've got him figured out, he's in for a rude awakening. Oh, yeah. Um, Michael Penix is our next guy at plus 1,200. I think with the numbers he put up last year, he probably could have been there. They just didn't have the storyline of the other teams whose quarterbacks made it because you know Max Duggan and Stetson Bennett were there, and yeah, they did great things, but Max Duggan had his 
Heisman moments that were broadcasted to the world. Yeah. And TCU is this amazing story. And then the same for Stetson Bennett. He had his moments, but Georgia was what propelled him to be there. Mm-hmm. And I just think that Michael Penix doesn't get enough coverage at Washington, at least not last year, because coming out of what Indiana, where he transferred from, he wasn't all that good, mm-hmm. goes to Washington, all of a sudden in this crazy air raid style offense, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. So now if the eyes are turned to him and it's hard when you're in the Pac-12, but with Caleb Williams there, there's going to be a bit of a microscope on the Pac-12 where, you know, the media is going to be watching these games. The media is going to watch USC face off against Washington this year because they want to see who's going to be the better quarterback. And I think that that bodes well for Michael Penix because what we saw from him last year was that he was an unstoppable force in the offense. Yeah, and I think uh, the biggest thing now with the Heisman is it's no longer who's the best player, it's who's the best player on the best team. Exactly. And I think that that's what hurts this next guy, Drake May. Mm -hmm. With UNC, he's plus 1,200 as well. And I think, you know, losing Josh Downs is going to be a tough one for him. But, you know, he's going to put up numbers. Drake May is a phenomenal quarterback. We already knew that. But, you know, does he have the weapons there? And is UNC going to be good enough to propel him to the top? Yeah. So, I don't know with Drake May because we've seen – I feel like we've seen enough to warrant him being up here. But does UNC have enough for him to be up there? Yeah, and I think that's – that's the exact point. He had the weapon in downs last year, his go-to guy. Honestly, I don't even know who's going to step up this year for uh, North Carolina. I don't. I haven't really seen them do, do any big moves in the portal. I really haven't seen them getting any major guys coming in. And, of course, Mac Brown's a great coach. He surrounds himself with a great coach, so they will have someone. I believe they're going to have someone. But will he be the guy that uh, Drake may need? Yeah, there's really no telling because, yes, Drake May's talent speaks for himself. But like you said earlier, it's the storylines with the Heisman winners and it's their teams. And, yes, Drake May has a storyline. He's like a fifth generation like or like fifth of his family to play a sport at UNC. Like that's going to be a big thing. He could have transferred out and gone to a bigger school. I'm sure Alabama would have opened him. Welcome him with open arms because I don't see Jalen Rashada on this list, but I don't know. I just, I think that there is a storyline here with Drake May. It's really just off of who else on US UNC is going to step up and help him out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And before we get to this next one, I want to say this is my favorite by far. And I okay. think you agree with me here. Yeah. I think he going off of a storyline, this next guy, if you got it, if, if Jordan Travis, he's, Jordan Travis, Florida State, plus 1,200 odds. He is a great quarterback. We saw him last year. Great story. I think if Florida State keeps it together this year, they have the potential not only to win the ACC, but be a national championship contending team. If they can do what they're – if they can keep it together this year, win those close games, because that's what killed them last year. There were a couple close games they could not – Pull through, and I know they had a lot of players, new players, yeah. all this, and they're gonna have a lot of new players this year as well. Can they adapt quickly and go together as a team and work together as a team? Because obviously, Jordan Travis is their leader, he yes. is their guy. 
And I think everyone believes in him. So if he plays to his best potential every game, I think that is what's going to make Florida State a great team this year and put him yeah. as the Heisman winner. All right, let me let me talk Florida State real quick <laughs> because look, okay, for Jordan Travis, this is his third year really playing for the program, second year as the full time starter. This is our second year with Johnny Wilson, our second year with um, uh, blanket on his head, Trey Benson, mm-hmm. uh, the running back, and we kept a bunch of guys. We kept Jared Verse on the defense. Like Florida State certainly can be up there by the end of it. And that just propels Jordan Travis to be that guy again. He was the highest rated by PFF all year for quarterbacks, highest rated quarterback performance in the bowl week or like the bowl games, like everything that Jordan Travis did last year certainly got him the respect this year. I'm actually surprised to see him at plus 1200, but I'm, I'm totally bought in on this. I'm totally bought in with Florida state's offense. I, Love what we've seen. I know some people have brought up that like losing Micah Pittman was a big deal, but it's not. He was here for a year. He wasn't even, I, I wouldn't even say he was the second biggest contributor in the receiving game because um, Pokey Wilson, Ontario Wilson, uh, whatever you want to call him, him and Johnny Wilson were the top two easily in my mind. And yes, Micah Pittman was there and he had reliable hands, but he had multiple games where it was like one reception for, you know, 15 yards. Yeah. That's not going to cut it. And I don't think that he's a game changer in this offense. So it's not like we lost anything crazy, but we also added on great players. Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. Number one n- tight end. Yeah. The portal. Numerous other players coming in and meshing well. They've got the spring. They've got the summer to get this all sorted out. And that's what we saw last year. So if Mike Norvell can – Show what he did it, personally in the second half of the season. I think he coached games so much better yes. than in the first half. There I was agree. questionable decision making at the end of some of those early <laughs> games, especially that three loss streak that were our only three losses of the season. Some questionable play calling near the end of those games. But if Mike Norvell shows us what he did last year and shows us like in the resiliency that we saw from them in the um was it the Cheez It Bowl? Yeah. Um, Wait, no, it was the. Uh, it was oh. something. It was Cheez It. Yeah, no, no, it was the Cheez It Bowl the against Bowl Oklahoma. Cheez It Bowl was uh, the Tennessee and. No, that was the Cheez It Orange Bowl. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Cheez It had two bowls, but this was the Cheez It Bowl that Florida State played in against Oklahoma, and I think what we saw out of Mike Norvell's offense, or you know, just kind of everything with Mike Norvell there was that they had the resiliency and he could rally those guys to keep going because they go into the half, they're down, I think a touchdown, and all of a the sudden they look absolutely unbeatable in the second half. And mm-hmm. it was very back and forth, but I think what we saw from them in that bowl game and what we saw from them in the latter half of the season was just so great and, and really a preview of what we can see from Jordan Travis throughout this entire next year. Yeah, I, I think... We're going to have it. That's going to be one of my more favorite teams to watch this fall. I think they're going to be very exciting. As you said, they got the number one tight end in the portal and the number one wide receiver in the portal. So they've reloaded on offense and defensively as well. They got four big-time defensive transfers coming in. So I think this fall as a whole, as I said earlier when it comes to the Heisman, it's how your team does nowadays, not just how you do. So with if their team can hold on and he gets the more, if his defense can stop, stop the other team and he gets more opportunities on offense and he just continues to show out, 
he will win the Heisman. Yeah. And let's talk about last year's Heisman. Caleb Williams returns to USC. He's plus 450 to win the Heisman right now. Easily <laughs> the greatest odds to win. And it, it makes sense. He yeah. was absolutely phenomenal last year. But I think that the fact that he's already won it once, it kind of works against him mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, I think you agree. I, th- I think I, oh my goodness, I cannot speak. I agree with you. I think when you win the Heisman, you have to prove yourself even more the next year. Like, oh, I can do way more than just this. And the media will still cover you heavily, but I think it's not going to be like, a, it's be, oh, we know what you can do, but look at this new guy. He can do the same thing, but he does this better. You know, it's going to be like that. So like you said, I think it does work against you. Yeah, and, you know, obviously Caleb Williams is probably going to be a finalist. Easily. I think that's pretty easy to say Yeah, going into this next year because he's with USC. In my mind, they're still the best team in the Pac-12, at least looking at them on paper. Obviously, you know Utah with Kyle Whittingham as the head coach, they're going to contend. Washington's going to look really good this year. Oregon could look really good. UCLA, there's really no telling how good a Chip Kelly offense can look because it's always going to look pretty good. It's just about closing the door and – I just think that, you know, Caleb Williams, certainly they're going to face teams that will make him look good a lot. They're going to face Colorado. They're going to face a bunch of teams where people are going to be watching these games, and that's totally going to boost him up to at least being a finalist. I just don't think he's going to win two of them. I I don't think he's a great quarterback, don't get me wrong, but yeah, I think there are way too many other people that deserve a shot and should, and are just as good as him. That should get it. Yeah. So just kind of overarching question. How surprised are you to see only two SEC quarterbacks here? Looking at the talent in the SEC right now, that especially the quarterback position, that doesn't surprise me too much. Um, I mean, the only ones I can think of that could be there, K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas. He's good, but when it comes to quarterback abilities – I think he has a he's got he's good. He needs a really good quarterbacks coach to work with him. He still has a lot to work on. Uh, you have Spencer uh, Sanders. Sanders, yes. You have him out there at uh, South Carolina. I oh, think that's Spencer Rattler. Spen- Spencer yeah. Sanders is the kid that transferred to Ole Miss from yeah. Oklahoma State. Sorry, I meant Spencer <laughs> Sanders. Er, Spencer Rattler. Uh, Spencer Rattler. He's going to be good. He's going to good, do good things. But I think he. Is going to have the same issues last year. Going to throw interceptions. Going to make mistakes. Yeah. Because I think that's just who he is. I just I don't think he can learn from his mistakes. We saw it at Oklahoma, and we saw it again last year at South Carolina. Two years in a row. Is he going to be able to finally listen to coaching and take it? Because I think if he can actually take coaching and correct his game, he will be a really good quarterback. It's just if he can do that. And then lastly, the only other quarterback from the SEC that could be there. Would have would the only one uh, would be uh, Jackson Dart. Uh, I mean, last year uh, threw for about three thousand yards. Very good uh, touchdown interception ratio. I believe he had less than six. Yeah, like six or less. It was like twenty for six touchdown interception ratio. Really did had a lot of really good things. Uh, I could see him potentially in the Ole Miss offense really exploding this year. Uh, they've got some good transfer receivers coming in to fill the spots. Uh, there's potential for him, but 
it doesn't surprise me too much because no returning SEC quarterback besides the two that are listed really did too much last year. Yeah. And, you know, with this graduating class, you lose Stetson Bennett, you lose Will Levis, you lose Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. Mm -hmm. So that's the four, like four of some of the best teams as well, four quarterbacks lost them. Yeah. So it it really throws things off. You know, Auburn doesn't really have a guy Mm -hmm. with Jalen Rashada. We have no idea if he'll even start at Alabama because um, what Ty Simpson is there as well, who could take his spot. So it definitely makes sense. One other guy I want to ask you about, though, that's missing here, Cade Klubnik for Clemson. What do you think about him? Because, yes, we didn't see a ton of him, but we certainly saw him show up multiple times in the end of the season last year. I think we see we saw he, he'll be a good quarterback. However, I did not see enough that I want to put him up, up here because Clemson will be facing some good defenses this year, and I don't think he's young. He has a lot to learn. And a lot of stuff that he just picks up with experience. So I think he'll be good, but I don't think he'll be Heisman good. Okay. And then any guys that aren't quarterbacks that you think you could see, you know, possibly making a push. We already talked about Blake Corum. I think there's a guy that <laughs> yeah. you're obviously thinking of right now, though. Obviously, the best <clears throat> returning running back in the nation, Quinshawn Judkins. Yes. And, and I'm, it's not even a question. I fully agree with you. Quinshawn Judkins is so goddamn good, and he can carry the Ole Miss offense so much to the point where he's going to have the numbers. Mm-hmm. It's just, are they going to value it? Because is Ole Miss going to be good enough? And I think that's the biggest question mark in the SEC is, will Ole Miss, I think for the West, you know, you have Ole Miss and Texas A&M. How are they going to do this year? Because, yeah. you know, Arkansas every year is going to be a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, team. Same with Mississippi State. But I think the two biggest wild cards you always have in the West are A&M and Ole Miss. How are they going to do? How are they going to show up? And I, honestly, for the whole SEC, what are they going to be able to do this yep. year? Because they both play Alabama this year. They uh, Ole Miss plays Georgia. I put, uh, they both play LSU. They have a potential to upset these big SEC, uh, these teams that are projected to go to the uh, playoffs again. If they can show up and if these players like Quinchon Judkins can show up and do so good, how is that going to affect college football as a whole? Yeah, for sure. And then one more thing I want to talk about is, you know, with Kyle McCord being on this list from Ohio State, could you make a case for a guy like Carson Beck, who is coming in behind a quarterback that was there for a few years? Obviously, the system's still there, though they lost their offensive coordinator. Could Carson Beck be another guy that maybe we just see show out? Because I think the running back class at Georgia is – a little bit weaker than we've seen in the past, and yeah. I think that Carson Beck could certainly show out. I fully agree with you. Seeing uh, the backup from Ohio State last year, it really threw me off. I was like, oh, I was so expecting to see Carson Beck go on there because he has Brock Bowers, the number one tight end in the nation, a freak athlete. He has several receivers returning. Lad McConkney, Lad McConkney, Lad McConkney whatever oh, his name is, sorry. He has several receivers that got tons of playing time. So I think he he should be up there if you're going to make the argument for uh, Kyle McCord. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Let's talk real quick. Um, Let's talk about Dylan Rayola committing to Georgia just a couple of months after decommitting from Ohio State back in December. 
Um, I'm hearing real good things about this kid. Obviously, the number one recruit in 2024. You know, what could this kid bring to the table for Georgia? I think what that brings to the table, Georgia, they're going to lose at least one of their quarterbacks in the portal this offseason, if not two of their quarterbacks yep. in the portal. Because I bet Beck will be there this year, next year, and then that's going to leave a fight amongst three five-star yeah. quarterbacks. So I think that's going to be a very big fight in the Georgia quarterback room. Yep. So I would not be surprised if two of them end up transferring, being the two ones that are starting behind Beck or are they behind Beck this year. Yeah, I know. What well, it's um, Vandegrift Van- and then Vandegrift and uh, blanking. I don't know. All I know is he was a five-star coming out of high school. And so I think it with him being coming to Georgia, that's going to put a big strain on that quarterback room. And I would not be surprised to see two leave. But I think something I saw uh, on the internet is a couple uh, receivers have committed to the highest Ohio State, Texas, other places. They, say, they see uh, him going to Georgia and going, oh, he's – amazing quarterback, I want to play with him. And so I think that's going to get some big-time receiver recruits going to Georgia now. Yeah, it it certainly could, and I think that that definitely helps. Dylan Rayola is a prospect that a lot of eyes have been on, and you know, once he committed to Ohio State, a lot of people were just like, okay, hands off. But it's pretty obvious that you know something must have happened at Ohio State where he thought, I shouldn't go there. Mm -hmm. And it's probably Kyle McCord. Yeah, because, you know, Kyle McCord's not going to leave after this season. So um, there's still going to be another year of Kyle McCord, which means Dylan Rayola can't start as a true freshman. It's not out of the books that he couldn't start as a true freshman in Georgia. Yeah, because if Carson Beck, yeah, maybe he'll be there for two years, but there's really no telling. Dylan Rayola comes in. I have a feeling with Georgia's offense and how their coaching staff works, the best guy's going to start. Yeah. And if Dylan Rayola shows up and he's better than Carson Beck, we could see like a, a JT Daniels and Stetson situation where it's like some, you know, each of them are going to get some playing time. Who's going to play better? Well, I think that this could also lead into Georgia <clears throat> Kirby Smart wanting him to sit out a year and we'll see something like uh, the Jake Fromm, uh, Justin Fields situation where Kirby wanted hit Justin Fields said, Hey, you're a great quarterback. You're going to be really good. I want you to sit out and learn for a year. And then when it comes out that Jake Fromm's not going to the draft, like everyone thought, and uh, he already sat that year. He said, screw this. I'm going to go somewhere I can start. So we could possibly see something like that happen. But I I think it's better for him to come to Georgia and sit the year or even potentially get start the year because he will be bringing some great five-star receivers in his class with him and potentially uh, future or the next year's class as well to start underneath them to get more time. Because, uh, again, to repeat myself, there were several receivers who saw him that already committed, almost locked in, going to Texas, Ohio State, Michigan, other places. That saw him decommit and go there, go to Jordan, saying, "Ooh, now that might be somewhere I want to go. That might change that offense for me. That there might might become a more pass heavy with him there." Yeah, uh, I think that there's so many possibilities for Georgia here because I just pulled up their quarterbacks list right now, <laughs> and there's a bunch of guys that yeah, they maybe could play. Uh, you know, they got a they've got. Three freshmen who I believe will be sophomores next year with Colin Drake, Gunnar Stockton, and uh, Brock Vandegrift, who's going to be a sophomore. I think Vandegrift will probably be the direct backup. Yes. From what I've seen and heard about him, 
Uh, they also have Jackson Muschamp, but I think he's a kind of a non-factor. <laughs> I think there's a very clear reason why he's on Georgia's team. Yeah, but I know a guy. There's a lot of possibilities for Georgia <laughs> coming up in the future, and you know if they can just continue to be a top recruiting class as well as a top team, continue to produce such high-level NFL talent, then everybody's going to want to go to Georgia, and it's going to be their problem is going to be fending people off from committing. yeah is, and that's why I mean. Kirby Smart took the Nick Saban blueprint and put it to perfection. Yeah. Because the best thing that worked for Kirby Smart was Alabama got to the point that they were literally having to say, all right, you're a five. We are getting so many five-star recruits. You're probably not going to play for two, three years. So they start saying, screw this, go over to Georgia, where Kirby Smart's running the same exact thing in Alabama, producing great talent. And so I think we may see another team here in the future with Georgia, like you said, having to say, hey, you're great, but you're not going to be play play for two, three years. They say, screw you, go to Tennessee, Florida, yeah. South Carolina, Ole Miss, LSU, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, and now that Quinn Ewers has set up this precedent of true freshman, if I don't play, I'm leaving, mm-hmm. what happens if Georgia does sit Dylan Rilla? Do they just lose the 2024 number one prospect? Like, it, it's, it's a crazy time that we live in with the transfer portal – combined with recruiting because any guy could just, you know, I've got an offer from this place. I'm going to commit whether I'm going to start or not. Yeah. And if I don't start, I'm leaving. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is you have teams like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state. Mm, trying to think a couple others, Michigan, those four. Okay. They can lose that and say, okay, yep. we're going to re- re- we'll replace you. Sorry. Yeah. Like you don't want to come here. All right. Bye. We have so many people here that are great athletes that want to win, want to be better. All right, leave. We don't need you. We'll do just fine without you. And I think that's that's why these teams are going to continue to be so good. It's because they produce great talent. They send them to the NFL. They do great in the league. They know they're going to be better if they come here. So that's why they're able to get the talent. Yeah, that, that's certainly the case. So I've got a couple of questions for you to round off the NCAA and everything like this. So first I want to ask you this one because I saw this on Reddit and I thought it was an interesting question. Who is going to win an SEC championship first, Texas or Texas A&M? Can I say neither? Because <laughs> <laughs> coming into the SEC, I mean, Texas lost to Arkansas and not too like, last year, two years ago. Come on. They, they're, I've said it. Both too many times about both teams. They are run by their boosters. They are not never going to be a national championship contending team. No matter how much they pay these kids, how good they play, they're paying these kids to come here. So they're not playing for the team. They're playing for the money. And it's a big difference playing for a team for giving all your heart or playing because oh I'm getting paid a million dollars to go you know play a sport I love them. You know it's, they're still going to play good, but they're not going to play as good as someone who's yeah. playing for their team they love. So if I had to pick, I think Texas because I can't stand Jimbo Fisher. Fair enough. However, speaking on Jimbo Fisher, did you hear the news about his son? No. He's finally, uh, I think they said they found a cure for his disease. Oh, really? So that's really that's good. That's fantastic. Very, very happy for yeah. them. Very, very, very thankful for that. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. But let's get back to football. Yes. Because I'm also going Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, smart. my problem with Texas A&M is, yeah, they had a great recruiting class last year. All of them skipped town this summer. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody's there. 
They have uh-huh. Connor Wigman, who's most likely going to start at quarterback, and they lost Devin A-Chain, who was really their only source of solid offense. Mm-hmm. What the fuck do they have? Texas, as soon as they enter the SEC, their starting quarterback is going to be a redshirt freshman, Arch Manning. Yeah. So I think, in my mind, that's already better than whatever Texas A&M is going to have at the time, unless, for some reason, some huge quarterback transfers there. Agreed. So yeah. I think Texas set up early is going to be in a much better position. You know, who knows? Texas A&M could win one before Texas is in the fucking SEC. <laughs> but that's not fucking happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go Texas as well just because of the name. Yeah, I was about, exactly. The thing with kids in Texas is they want to go to the University of Texas. Now, I say they're boosters and all that. Now, I'll, I'll stick to that to the day I die. I will die on that hill saying they only go to Texas because that's where they're getting the money. They know if they go to Georgia or Alabama, they're going to get a better – they're going to be coached better and that they're going to have a better, better way of getting into the league. However, they all want to go to Texas – because that's the state, that is the school of Texas, it is the University of Texas. That is why everyone wants to go there. So they're going to, when it comes to it, am I going to go to A&M or Texas? I'm going to go to Texas, you know? Yeah. It's just because in the state of Texas, they're all crazy. <laughs> I have a lot of friends from Texas, they're all crazy. And, you know, they all want to go to Texas. Exactly. And, you know, who doesn't like burnt orange? Oh, yeah, I just love that. <laughs> You'd be a cow. All right, well, I do have a few more questions for you. These all kind of running under the same question, and it's how long of a leash do these head coaches have this season? So we're not talking about the future. We're just talking about in 2023, what kind of leashes do these quarter or do these coaches have? You know, what kind of records could they have? What, you know, failure could they see to keep their job? And I want to start off with kind of a hot topic in my mind, Marcus Freeman, because – <laughs> Last year, you know, horrible start. Yeah, it was kind of. Start. Yeah, kind of recovered themselves by the end of it, and showed some really impressive stuff. Marcus Freeman definitely got those guys to rally behind him. You know, after those couple of losses to start the season, but is he really off the hook because of it? I don't think he's fully off the hook. However, if he can win eight games again, I can see him winning nine games. I don't. I haven't seen their yeah. schedule just yet. But to I mean I feel their schedule is usually set up to them to win at least nine games, so I could easily see them winning nine, go nine and three. What you know, and he'll be perfectly fine. They'll think he's the next big guy. He'll stay. Yeah, they play Navy, easy win. Tennessee State, easy win. NC State a little harder, but they should beat that. Um, Central Michigan, easy win. Ohio State, hard game. Could go either way. Duke, come on. Louisville, come on. USC, hard game. Pittsburgh, eh. At Clemson, that's going to be a hard one. Wake Forest and at Stanford. I mean, that I could see that being a 10-2 season. Right there. Yeah. That, I, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I, I'd say it's a bit of a stretch, but I think I'd be willing oh, God, to say... $587 for yeah. Navy-Notre Dame tickets. Holy shit. But I'm thinking like 9-3. and 9-3... I think that w- that would fit, and they would be perfectly okay with that. Because all he has to do is at Clemson against Ohio State and at NC State. Those are probably the three hardest games on that schedule. Yeah, that's agree? that's what I was thinking is they could fall to NC State. Yeah, on the road, 
They're on all three of those. If they can at least keep the game close, he's good. Because right. it shows improvement. I like it. So, our next guy, my coach, Mike Norvell of Florida State, what kind of leash do you think he's got? I think he's on a pretty good – he's got a pretty long leash right now. I mean, dude made a – like you said, second half of the season, improved tremendously. I believe y'all ended 10-4. and four. Um. Yeah, with the bowl. Yeah, ended 10-4 and four with the bowl game. 3 Ten and three with the bowl yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, great season. Uh, those three losses, he really shouldn't have lost. Uh, he should have won. Honestly, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly the games because they were so long. The ago, games they lost. Yeah, weren't they very uh, close? Yeah, like, uh, a close one to Clemson that only got wide because of a, a fumble return for a touchdown in the final play, and then a super close loss to Wake and a super close loss to NC State. Yeah, and I remember watchers. I remember like, are you kidding me? Y'all had the game. Y'all were going to win the game, and they didn't have that closing ability. That's obviously something he worked on at the end of the year. I think he's good. I think if he even goes 10-2, and two, yeah. he is going to get an extension. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that 10-2 and two is fine with me. I'd love to be better because – I think he is going to be I better. I think that the only team that – I think there's two teams that could beat them this year, and it's LSU and Clemson. Yeah. I think otherwise, I'm not really that scared of Miami this year. No. Especially with all the guys leaving. Yeah. And then I'm not scared of Wake because they lost Sam Hartman. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not scared of you know, Duke, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, those teams. But, yeah, it's really just LSU and Clemson that kind of, kind of make me weary of if we can get out of it. But if we start 4-0... We're going to the net. Oh, if you start four and zero, that is, you're going to be number two in the country, if yeah. not number one, going to the national championship. Because LSU, they reloaded very well. They have really good freshmen that have been in their second year now. They're going to be a great team if you can beat them. And of course, it's going to be a home game too. Yeah, in Orlando. Yeah, so basically a home game. You can win that game at Clemson is going to be tough as well. Again, good team. They're going to be good. You're away, so it's always going to be a little harder. I think one game that I w- would not be too worried about, but I would definitely – that is definitely – depending on how their season goes, Florida. Yeah. Uh, you're look, at – Florida can be good. Yes, and you're at the Swamp too. Yes. So, if you start out – let's just say you go 11-0, and there's always the, oh, we might we're a little, we might get a little bit cocky. Might even, I don't think they're going to beat y'all, but I think it would be an – you would be put on upset alert and it would be yeah. a close game. Yeah. If y'all get a little too cocky. Yeah, I think, you know, if we're undefeated up to that point, I'm not scared of Florida. No. But if, you know, if we lost to Clemson and LSU, I would be I'd say that we're kind of we're we're borderline with Florida. Like we'd maybe be like a a six and a half favorite. Yes. But I I think you made a good point there. Uh what about Brent Venables at Oklahoma? Because he's an interesting situation. You know, former school, the you know, the school he played for, he's going into his second season. Not an impressive season last year, but you know a, a decent showing in the bowl game against Florida State, and I, I just feel like Brent Venables got put in a bad position with Oklahoma. He not only did he get put in a bad position, but uh, there's no satisfaction. He did just get put in yeah. a bad position. I think what saved him and gave him a little bit of a longer leash was that bowl game against Florida State. He was able to keep it very close, and again, we know Florida State was a great team last year. So I think he, if they if he can get an eight plus win season, 
he'll be he'll be okay for the next season. But if anything less than eight, he's going on the hot seat. And they will. I bet you they'll give him one more year. But anything less than eight wins, he's on the hot seat. And now that we're looking at his schedule, he should beat Arkansas State, should beat SMU, should beat Tulsa, should beat Cincinnati. Honestly, should beat Ohio or Iowa State. Texas will be hard. UCF will probably be a bit of a challenge, but they're home, so they should beat UCF. At Kansas, that might be tough because uh, Leopold's a good coach. Yeah. At Oklahoma State, rivalry game going to be a little tough. Oklahoma, West Virginia, all right, you got them home. You should win that. At BYU, uh, that's that should be a win. And then home against TCU, they're losing most everybody. You yeah. should win that. I mean, again, I see an easy 8-9 win season. Yeah, I think so as well, but if they look like they did last year and they lose to you know Kansas and they lose to UCF and they lose to Texas, that really screws them up going into that Final Four because it's really not that easy going into that Final Four in no. that schedule. Oklahoma State is never going to be an easy team to play because Mike Gundy's their coach. Yeah. And, you know, West Virginia, yeah, but they're just kind of like scrappy. That's yeah. really the only reason West Virginia would be there. You know, BYU, who knows? Maybe they're just going to have another Zach Wilson there that's going to just <laughs> yeah. absolutely explode. But bombs, you know? Yeah, you never know what's going to happen at BYU. Maybe that NIL cruise they took earlier <laughs> this year yeah. might change some things up with this team's chemistry. And then, you know, TCU, I don't know what's going on there, but what I do know is that Sonny Dykes is a good coach. He's a great coach, and he's going to keep them. He's going to get – they're going to be good with him. I think losing Max Duggan and a couple of the other big-time playmakers is going to be a very big hole to fill. And I think they have a hangover from the making it to the cha- a championship hangover. Even though they didn't win, they're going to have the hangover of, oh, look at how good we did. And then he, if he doesn't win, I could see them going 8-4 and four maybe. It's, yeah. They don't have this not returning starting quarterback. I believe their running back went to the draft. Their top receivers. Yeah. A couple of their big-time defensive players. So you're having to fill a lot of holes. And the sudden, oh, we're good all of a sudden, and then you do really bad the next year, and they go, oh, that was a one-hit wonder, and they're going to yeah. put you on the hot seat. Exactly. So, but um, you know, let's talk about Ryan Day because he's—it's weird because Ohio State is certainly expected to win national championships, mm-hmm. and yes, they keep making the playoff, but you know it was even questionable that they'd make it in last year <coughs> over teams like USC who you know late late losses in the season threw them out but I, i'm just i don't know you got to beat michigan that, ryan day has not beaten michigan i think to that is exactly right the fact that he has not beaten michigan is what is going to kill him if he cannot beat notre dame or if he loses notre dame and michigan this year i could see him either being put on the hot seat or fired because, again, yeah. Ohio State wants to win, and there's <clears> – if <throat> they cannot win, if they cannot beat their dang rivals, how are they going to – you know, how are you expecting them to win a championship? Yeah, and, and there's two other games on the schedule that I kind of question them with, and it's back-to-back games at, or, uh, at home versus Penn mm-hmm. State and at Wisconsin with Luke Fickle, head coach now. <coughs> I think this is – like two of their biggest games of the season, at least setting the pace wise. Yeah. Because yes, you play Notre Dame week four, but you know, if you just get out of there unscathed, whatever, then you're gonna most likely take a six and record against Penn State in Ohio, or you know, in Columbus, and 
they're not an easy team to play. James mm-hmm. Franklin's a pretty good coach, though I hate him outside of the way he calls a football game. <laughs> yeah. And then against Wisconsin, they kind of have this new wind under their wings with Luke Fickle. Yeah. I was also thinking about that. As soon as I saw those back-to-back, I was like, ooh, that's going to be a rough week. Because if they barely escape Penn State and they go to Washington, especially if Washington can get something Wisconsin. going. or Sorry, Wisconsin. <laughs> All W's to me, you know. But uh, if they go to Wisconsin, barely escaping a win from Penn State, and Wisconsin has a lot of energy underneath them, that might not be well. That might not work out well for them. And then having to end the year at Michigan. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry, but that I think if he doesn't beat Michigan, loses to Notre Dame or Wisconsin or Penn State, he will be put on the hot seat for the following year. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page because when I was thinking about. Coaches to add to this list, I was like, Ryan Day. Yeah. He's the guy where it's like, yeah, he's successful record-wise, but mm-hmm. is he winning the games that he needs to? Yeah. He didn't win the semifinal game, which, you know, a fantastic showing from Ohio State, but they didn't win it. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't win against Michigan. You didn't win against them last year. Like, I, I have to see him win these big games because, yeah, you play in the Big Ten. It's the second-best conference but you're really not playing the second best schedule. You're not yeah. playing the second best teams. You are the reason that it's a good conference. Exactly. So yeah, there's a lot to prove there from Ryan Day. And there's another guy that has a lot to prove. And that's Steve Sarkeesian with Texas. I think yeah. Texas in general has a lot to prove. But, you know, what kind of leash do you think he has? He's been there for a couple of years now. And, you know, they had the injuries last year to Quinn Ewers. And I think Bijan even missed a game last year. So, a few things missing there for them, but could he be on the hot seat already? I don't think he's on a hot seat, but he's definitely on a warm seat. Okay. Because I said it earlier, the boosters run this program. If he cannot, the only reason he's on, he's not on a hot seat is because of how good they played against Alabama. But I think this year, if they don't make a New Year Six bowl game, he's put being put on the hot seat. Yeah, because look, if you're looking at the schedule, they're losing to Alabama week two. Easily. In Tuscaloosa, oh, they have yeah. no, chance no chance to beat Alabama. You know, Baylor is is kind of a toss-up, honestly. Mm-hmm. They were really bad last year, but they were really good the year before. Really no telling there. Oklahoma's going to be a tough one. Kansas yeah. is going to be a tough one again. And even Houston could be a, a tough one. I think Kansas State might even be a tough one for them. Yeah, Kansas State. And then... Otherwise, I'm not too worried. You know, TCU could be. There's really no yeah, telling. Like that we saying. won't know until the season rolls around. What exactly. Come out with you know. But you know, realistically, I think if Texas goes nine and three, he can keep his job. I think nine and three is good, but eight wins or less, he will probably put on the hot seat. They're gonna say, "Hey, New Year Six bowl game or bust." They'll probably say playoffs or bust, but they'll yeah. say, "Give." Well, oh, next year there won't be New Year Six bowl games, will there? Uh. Yeah, all well, be yeah, yeah, the year after 12, this one. Yeah. yeah. So I say after, yeah, after this season, say playoffs or bust. Yeah. It's top 12. Yeah. You know? I think that if they're six and six this year, I think he should be fired. Oh, easily. They have way too much talent. Yeah. If they don't get over eight, eight wins will put him on the warm seat. Seven wins might get him fired. Six wins will definitely get him fired. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. And then we'll round it out here with one that we actually just mentioned Baylor. Dave Aranda, I have. Never really been very fond of him at Baylor. I like, yes, they had a great 
2021-2022 was abysmal. Yeah. Six and seven with the bowl game loss. And it just seems like we should have seen more out of them and we're not. So after a horrible season last year, what kind of leash does Dave Aranda have? I think he's back. I think he's on another warm seat. I'm not going to say hot because I think they know, okay, we got to give them They've had a couple coaches in a row that they gave them three years to build a program, and they became good before they left. So I think they're going to give him this this year, and if he gets another one, I think he gets a winning season. He gets back to a, a, not a New Year Six, but a good bowl game. He's fine. He'll he'll still be on that warm seat going into the following year, seeing what he can do. But they have to have eight or more wins for him to stay. Yeah, I, I think that the only way he <coughs> avoids at least ending the season on a hot seat is if they can be 4-0 and through those first four. Because mm-hmm. they've got to play Utah Week 2 and Texas Week 4. Yeah. And those are two huge ones. If Dave Aranda can pull wins out of his ass in both of those two, I think that they have a chance going forward, you know, even if they end up dropping one to, like, a, a Kansas State or even a Texas Tech. Yeah. I think, I think their big thing will be their road games. Uh, they get very fortunate. Two, their two hardest games are both home. Yeah, but they're at UCF, at at Cincinnati. I they lost. I wouldn't be too scared of. But at Kansas State, at TCU, again, Kansas State and TCU both have great head coaches. UCF is usually a good program, so I think being on the road for those is going to be a little. If he can win those, then I think he'll be fine. And again, if he can beat Utah, honestly, if he can beat Utah or Texas, I think he'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. It, also, looking at the schedule. Only four road games. Yeah. They kind of lucked up there. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really not even that hard of road games. Like No, like, uh, you know, uh, with the exception of, um, you know, I guess Kansas State is your hardest road yeah. game. That's a pretty good place to be in. Oh, yeah. But I think that's going to do it for college football. Let's talk some NFL pretty quickly. The biggest news here being the Pat McAfee show is moving to ESPN. This is crazy because I think the best thing about the Pat McAfee show was like, it was just them. They were streaming it all themselves. Like it was all them. They could kind of do whatever they want, say whatever they want. Now you're going to be on network television Mm -hmm. in the middle of the day. No more F-bombs. But I think the biggest thing for that was him doing college game day. I, I have a feeling they were like, hey, we basically own you now. You cannot do this on your own. You got to do it through us. If you want to I, I don't, doing this, I don't know if that was totally the case. I think it was more that um, the FanDuel sponsorship that was kind of paying for all of this. Yeah, it was either FanDuel or DraftKings. I can't remember. I think it was FanDuel mm-hmm. that was paying for all of this. It was like a hundred twenty million dollar contract he was under with them. Wow. ESPN, who he's been working with, and who the Pat McAfee show themselves have had their names on ESPN things with the semifinal games and the championship yeah. game with that kind of coverage. I think it, ESPN who works alongside with the Caesars sports book, it was kind of dueling to, you know, for with, you know, their affiliation with the Caesars sports book to see a guy who is actively being, uh, you know, actively under contract with FanDuel <coughs> to see him broadcasted and advertised on their network. So I think that was a big part of it, but also, just how well Pat McAfee has done on ESPN and with the Pat McAfee show. Cause the Pat McAfee show was creating more news than half the fucking media outlets yeah. were throughout the NFL season, having Aaron Rodgers on every week, 
and like all of the Aaron Rodgers coverage was bringing in like half a million people at a time to yeah. watch this stuff. And I think that ESPN knew that, you know, they can make money. Yeah, <laughs> they can make money, but also traditional media has evolved oh, and, yeah. and, and social media runs everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably tenfold the people looking at an ESPN Instagram or Twitter post, then they're watching sports center at 6 PM uh, yeah. or watching, you know, first take mm-hmm. like, it's got to be like their interactions through social media are huge. And that's why it's super important that the way it's going to be broadcasted through ESPN is on ESPN and on ESPN plus as well as ESPN's YouTube. So you keep it free. You don't have to have a TV subscription. Like you literally don't have to have a TV to watch the Pat McAfee show. Yeah. Because it'll be on ESPN's YouTube. You can watch it on your phone. You don't need a streaming service. You don't need cable to watch this. And I think that that makes it even better for them. Because mm-hmm. if they just bought the Pat McAfee show, took it off of YouTube, and were like, hey, if you want to watch it, you better tune into ESPN at 12 or yeah. ESPN Plus because you can't watch it anywhere else. That would have been fucked up on their part. Oh, yeah. Well, they obviously have very smart people that make way more money than me who understand how the marketing and all that is going now. And they said, hey, hit him on his own. Look at what he's doing, how much he's how he's getting more interactions. We probably yeah. are through these TV shows. Let's keep it like this. And we'll just, you know, buy him out and just say, hey, you do it here. Clean up your language and you're good. <laughs> yeah. And and like I think that this is also um, I, I saw um, Big Cat from Barstool talking about this. Um, he said, like. Pat is, um, he's newly a father. Mm-hmm. He's been running this whole thing himself for now multiple years. And he probably just needs a fucking break. Yeah. He doesn't need to manage all of this stuff. Some like other people need to be running this shit for him. He should yeah. just need to clock in and clock out exactly. because he's a busy ass guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm sure that now that he's like, his show is part of ESPN, you know, we're going to see get up, bring on AJ Hawk to oh, talk yeah. about football, or they're going to bring on Pat to talk about football, or we'll see Pat on first take arguing with Stephen A. Smith about the Cowboys. Which would be amazing. <laughs> it really would. would be so much fun if that happens. But I think bringing like, cause you know, for a while there were two separate things and mm-hmm. now Pat's on college game day. And, um, and now, you know, they've done the Pat McAfee show coverage on the, the football games, uh, you know, later in the year, last year, kind of bringing these two things together and making it all one thing makes it super interesting. Yeah. But I, I think this is overall a great thing when it comes to sports media, which is exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah. You know, trying to build something in sports media is super difficult. But when you see something, and obviously Pat McAfee and, and all this isn't like this self-made story. Yeah. But – you know, a former NFL player and, and, and some friends, as well as another former NFL player and AJ Hawk, like putting this whole thing together, running it themselves, building it to how big it really was. And and now, you know, getting picked up by the biggest sports media company in the world. And I, I think that this is kind of like the underdog story, essentially, for mm-hmm. Pat McAfee. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, I think it's very interesting when you, when it comes down to like the future of sports media because it just keeps changing. Well, I think the biggest thing for him that him being a football player that gave him the credibility and then like he had the credibility and then he had such, he has such a great personality that he can just go on there, talk about whatever he is very, obviously very knowledgeable in the subject, 
So he had the credibility and the personality and the knowledge. It all just clicked together so that to make this show as successful as it is. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly the the biggest factor in this is just who he is and what they've created. Yeah. Um. So let's get into more actually NFL stuff. Uh, well, actually, this does have to do with sports media, but uh, the Vikings Twitter banner randomly replaced Dalvin Cook with Alexander Madison. So does this mean that Dalvin's out? That is a great question. I'm. That is very intriguing. I, I remember <laughs> seeing that and I was like, interesting. Maybe they're just trying to get him a little more attention. Who knows? Maybe he, they're having contract. He yeah. wants more money, and they said no. And so this is just a subtle way of being like, okay, we can replace you. Yeah, uh, you know what we've kind of seen throughout this off season. You know, it, it's just been like here and there. We'll be like, you know, I'll be scrolling through this NFL news, preparing for the podcast, and it'll just be like the Vikings might cut Dalvin Cook. And I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on? Because he was still a. a a top tier running back last year, though the the rushing yards production wasn't quite there like it has been in prior years, and I, I think that you know with how much they're paying Dalvin, I, I think that the money's not quite lining up for them right now. Especially considering that next year you're probably gonna have to play against Justin Jefferson, and um, I, I think that that definitely changes things. Mm-hmm. So you know we'll just kind of have to see, but um, I, I think this is a interesting one. So. Uh, real quick, let's run through the best-selling jerseys uh, in 2023 in the NFL. Um, this one's interesting. Do you think you could guess who the number one is? Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes? Wrong. Damn. Different quarterback, though. Joe Burrow? Nope. What? Who? It is one brand-new New York Jets quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. I forgot that he... Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of crazy, and I think a couple of the other, um, you know, big movers this season. Uh, I think I saw Bryce Young coming mm-hmm. in at number ten. His Carolina Panthers jersey is already up there. So um, yeah, and of course, you know, Mahomes and I think Burrow as well were up there. But yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that Aaron Rodgers is already number one. I mean, he'll only play what you think two, three seasons max, and. Yeah, York, man, like, he could go longer. There's really no I, I telling. Mean, Tom Brady went a lot longer than I thought he did <laughs> yeah, after he turned 40. So. Exactly. Um, let's see. A few more things to hit on the NFL. We're kind of picking up the pace here. We spent a lot more time on college football than we anticipated. But um, I do want to talk about this. This is absolutely crazy. The 49ers last season won the coin toss in 16 of their 20 games last season. That's the most that the coin toss has been won by a team in a single season. Wow, that is very impressive. <laughs> what are the odds of that? Yeah, so whatever captain is calling that, <laughs> keep, keep him out yeah, there. You gotta yeah. keep him on the field because that is absolutely insane. Yeah, dang. And then uh, let's talk about the uh, kind of Joe Burrow and the Bengals situation right now. So Joe Burrow is involved, you know, in his co- uh, in his contract negotiations. Obviously, they're talking extensions. They picked up his fifth year option, but. Um, it looks like a big factor in this is his teammates who are due money. You know, T. Higgins is going to need to get paid, Jamar Chase, as well as numerous other guys. And I think that that's great that, you know, it, it, his first contract negotiation, he's already thinking about the fact that there's other guys on this roster that got to yeah. get paid too. I think that's the thing that separates Joe Burrow from several of these other quarterbacks is he knows he's great and he's only as good as his weapons. So he knows I need my players to get signed too. And he is perfectly content playing in Cincinnati, from what I can tell. You know, not too far away from where he grew up, yep. enjoys it there. So why would he want to leave? 
you know, he's got everything he needs, everything he wants. Let's get all my, you know, let's get all my friends, all my really good yeah. players paid so we can continue to be a good team. I don't need, I'm sure he'll get paid a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sure he's like, I don't need to be the highest paid quarterback in history. I know I'm really good. I'll go down in the history books as a really good quarterback. I don't need all these other things. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And Jamar Chase made a comment on this extension process and how much Burrow is focusing on keeping his guys around. Jamar said uh, it means he wants to win. He's not a big guy on money. He wants to look out for the people around him and keep the team around him. And I think that's the best quality you could have Mm -hmm. in a starting quarterback, especially a young guy like Joe Burrow. Yeah. And, I mean, not to hate on the guys who have made those giant NFL contract deals and all that. They're great players, too, and they deserve the money they're getting because they are really good. However, how do you expect to win if you're taking up the vast majority of the cap space and you can't get these really good players? Yeah. So I think that's what it, it comes down to is yeah, you should be getting a lot of money. You should be getting some of the, a lot of the, you should be getting a lot of money uh, and a vast majority of the cap, not the vast majority, but a good amount of the cap should go to you because you are, for example, Lamar Jackson. He's the only reason that Ravens team has been anything these last few years. However, now that he's taking up the vast majority of cap space, how are they supposed to get? all these other players to come in to make them a Super Bowl contending team. Uh, yeah, at what point do you say, I'd rather have a Super Bowl than have all the money? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fine line to toe, but um, I think it makes this Bengals situation very interesting, but it's obviously in a good place. Yes. Um, I think we're going to round out NFL for there. Um, for now, we're going to skip the MLB, and uh, you know, Brock's got to get out of here pretty soon. So uh, we're going to do this top three, bottom three. I'm pretty excited for this one. We're doing summer foods, so same thing as always that we've been doing for these last couple of weeks, top three, bottom three. It's draft style, so we can draft the top three. You can't use somebody else's, and then we'll flip it over to the bottom three, and you can use whatever has been picked. Um, but once again, once we start drafting the bottom three, you can't use somebody else's. So draft style, top three. Brock's got the first pick on summer foods. Let's hear it. I don't know if it's just because I'm from the South and I'm poor. But every summer, nothing is better than watermelon and watermelon-flavored things. I love it. So great. Okay, so that was my one one. I <laughs> wanted that one so bad. But I, I need to get a little more intricate on it because just to add on to what you have, I think it's even better when you buy it from, like, the side of the road. Oh, Or, like, yes. a farmer's market. And oh, it's so like, you better. know it's fresh. Like, you, you see it in the back of the pickup truck. Yes. <laughs> so much better. It makes this, the, the watermelon that much better. I think for me, a big part of summers, especially, like, going through high school, is um, got this place over here, Big Easy Snowballs. Oh. I'm taking snowballs or snow cones, whatever. That was my team. I'm taking that because that was always a big thing. Once I could drive, mm-hmm. it was like every couple weeks – or, you know, every time me and the guys are hanging out, it's like, yo, you guys want to go get snowballs and then, like, go to, you know, Rope Mill yeah. or, like, whatever. Like, tons of stuff around us that we could go and do, but there was always snowballs involved. So, I had to take oh, that one. The cream on top. Yeah, oh, dude. Pure sugar, but freaking delicious. Yes. You know, this next one, a little more specific. Peach milkshake Chick-fil-A. Fire. Dude, and did you see the the watermelon mint stuff I, they're doing? I remember they did that when we were sophomores in high yeah. school. I got it every single day after football practice. It is my favorite thing yeah. ever. Yeah, dude. That's why I said watermelon flavored, flavored <laughs> things because I, I had to include that. Yeah, oh. dude. 
like the the watermelon i just a couple of days ago i got the watermelon mint uh fro- like the frosted, frosted watermelon so mint good. oh my god it was fucking good oh but let's see one. my second pick i'm going to kind of keep it with what i said about watermelon and getting it on the side of the road i'm going with boiled peanuts all right i think in the summer there's a ton of boiled peanut people out they're always at the street corner or on the side of the road uh, you know, you get off the interstate on a trip down to South Georgia, down to Florida. <laughs> you get some boiled peanuts from a random ass dude in this <laughs> random ass shack. And he just has like two giant pots, just boiled peanuts. And they're always fire. Yes, always. So I had to take boiled peanuts. And for my, my, my third and final, keeping on the roadside produce. I'd say any roadside food. You got your you go to the gas station parking yeah. lot. They got a truck out back with barbecue that they've been smoking all day. Or you, they got crawfish. You know, I know in Mississippi we got crawfish starting in the spring and summer. Say, I'm sure we got some over here too. Nothing is better than you go to the gas station. And they say, oh yeah, you know, summer we got a guy out there. He's selling barbecue burgers, whatever it may be. It is some of the best food you'll get. I love it. All right, my last one on the top three. There's a couple of ones I could pick from here. I I think some of these, though, I would typically enjoy year-round, so I can't really limit it to a summer thing. So I'm going to go with fish. I think that fish is fantastic in the summer, like fried catfish, do Mm -hmm. like a catfish boil or a a catfish fry, like everything, salmon. Like I feel like I enjoy fish more in the summer. Honestly, yeah, I think I can agree with that. Yeah. Fish just tastes better in the summer. It does. It, it's it, like whether it's fresh or not, yeah. it seems fresher because it's hot outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know somebody could be out there fishing it right now. That true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have two honorable mentions though for the top three. Uh, sweet tea, which is the one where I would in- normally I, enjoy it year round. I drink about <laughs> a gallon a day. Exactly. So, like every time I go to a restaurant, it's a sweet tea and a water. No, no fail. That's what I'm getting. And then peach pie. I, I think that's yeah. peach pie Ugh, because peaches. peaches are so good in the summer and we live in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So there's peaches everywhere. Mm-hmm. Peach pie is fantastic. You know, yeah. you come home from like a hot summer day and somebody made a peach pie at the a house. Scoop of vanilla on top. Yep. 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 All right. Well, let's get into the bottom three then. My, I got the first pick on the bottom three. I'm going with. A tray of fresh vegetables. Facts. I think that shit sucks every time. Mm-hmm. Like, like the carrots are always slimy. Yes. The broccoli is always rock hard. Like, everything about it is horrible. <laughs> you know, I'm actually going to say something along the same lines. I'm going to say mixed fruits. Always soggy. Never. <laughs> I have it on my Let list go. like exactly how you just said it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's soggy. It, the flavors, it always not like I, if I want watermelon, I want watermelon. If I want grapes, I want grapes. I want strawberries, I want strawberries. You yeah. mix them all together, then it's not like a I don't know. It, I don't want it like it doesn't a, work. Yeah, it does not work how you want it to. Yeah, not a fan of mixed fruits. All right, my second one on the bottom three. I'm going with soup. Soup of any kind. I, I have no reason to eat soup. In the summer. Nope. Doesn't matter what it is. Whether Yeah, exactly. I don't need chicken soup. Like, look, Jewish family, matzo ball soup is cooking all the time. I don't want it in the summer 
If it's 90 degrees outside and I'm eating a 150-degree bowl of soup, there's no reason that that should ever happen. No, none whatsoever. It's too freaking hot. People don't get it. It gets over 100 degrees, 100% humidity. It's like you're dying. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you get this a lot. and This, this may just be the people I'm around. And When I went to Ole Miss, I've noticed it too, maybe because it's cheap and easy. But one thing I can't stand... Are like charcuterie boards. What? Uh, you want, here's my reasoning. Okay. They especially in the summertime, they put it out. It's hot. It gets. It's the meat's not really good anymore. It's been sitting there for hours. You were at the lake, wherever okay. it is. It starts getting tasting weird, and then there's flies all over it, and it's yes. The cheese fair. starts to melt because it's a hundred degrees, yeah. and then you're like, oh my god. That's why I can't stand charcuterie in the summer. Okay, that's fair. I think you know if you're doing like a small get together, like. Uh, we've done it numerous times. Yeah. Like the boys get together, you get some soprasada, you get some really nice cheeses. Yeah. It's fine, but you got to keep it at room temperature. Yeah. You can't put it outside. Yeah, I'm talking, you, you go to the lake for your buddy's birthday back in like elementary school <laughs> and you come out and you they, they say, oh yeah, I got some food. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. And you get a little cracker this big yep. and then you get this meat that's been sitting there for three hours of flies all over it and then you get the cheese that's melted yeah. basically. You're, you throw it you're on pretty much making a fucking Lunchable in your hand. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a wet cracker. Yeah. <laughs> you get a wet cracker, you get a, a piece of summer sausage and then like <laughs> fucking just american cheese yeah like that yes i understand it now because when you said charcuterie boards i was like dude there's no way i'm ever turning down like a really nice multi-grain cracker with <laughs> soprasada on it and like a slice of like i don't even know uh english aged white cheddar yeah like i'm not turning that down but i definitely understand what you're talking about so my last one on the bottom three i gotta go with Anything that people call a salad that's just a bunch of shit with mayonnaise. Oh, my God. I hate it. Pasta salad. Oh, yeah. Egg salad, chicken salad, any of them. Potato salad. I can't do it because, first of all, I don't like mayonnaise. Like, okay, you put mayonnaise on my chicken sandwich. I'll be okay. I'll eat it. Whatever. You put mayonnaise on my sub. That's fine. Why the fuck would I want to eat a bowl of (laughs) potato, bacon, and mayonnaise? I always say no mayonnaise. I hate mayonnaise. I I can eat it if it's on there. Not a big deal, but I cannot. ah, I just don't like mayonnaise whatsoever. Yeah, and don't call it a salad. It's, yeah. (laughs) The best, it has like celery in it. Yeah. It's not a salad. If I ask for, okay, if I'm at a restaurant, I order a chicken salad. Mm -hmm. I want it to be like lettuce or spinach or something. With, like, grilled chicken or fried chicken on it and some dressing. Yeah. I don't want a bunch of chunks or pulled, just baked or boiled chicken Mm -hmm. with mayonnaise and a bunch of random shit in it. Yeah. No, I am... Ugh. Give me... Ugh. All right. You've got the final one on the bottom three. I want want to make... I was trying to think of something, like, that's really good that's, like, everybody can relate to, but... What is really just the worst thing about summer? I don't know. I don't like tomatoes. I've so. never really been. You know what's actually, I was thinking about it. It's going to be a very unpopular opinion. I didn't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. I hate to say it because I usually enjoy it. This is going to, I'm going to have to explain myself. Okay. People that don't know how to make lemonade and they give you the okay. lemonade yeah. and it's just pure sugar. Yep. And, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a nice, refreshing glass of lemonade. And you drink it. Oh, my God. Yes. I am going to have diabetes and I'm going to lose my foot. 
<laughs> yeah, poorly made lemonade it is one of the worst things to drink. Happens every summer. I have a friend go to their house. Oh, they're like, yeah, we got this. I will drink it, and I go, holy shit, I don't yeah. feel my left foot anymore. I would literally rather you just use, like, some Crystal Light mix. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fine. Or give me a fucking Crystal Light packet that I put in my water bottle. Exactly. I would enjoy that ten times more than your sugar water concoction ugh. with, like, a squirt of lemon in it. I, I'm like, I'm just like, ugh. Like, like lemonade, ugh. lemonade needs like a bite. Yeah. Like Chick-fil-A lemonade. Now that's good. It's got like that's a good, a good bite. One. It's got a little bit of pulp in mm-hmm. there too. Makes it so good. If you're giving me uh, a cup of water, it's like equal parts water and sugar. And then yeah. like you, you took a half a lemon and you just squeezed it in there. Mm-hmm. That's not going to cut it. That shit is ass. Yeah. <laughs> I would also like to add uh, the cucumber Gatorade. I love cucumber Gatorade. I've never been a fan and, of no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> the thing is you can't drink it. A lot. You have to have one. It needs to be like a guilty pleasure thing. True. You get one, all, like randomly. Yeah. But it's just it's a refreshing ass flavor. Cucumber dude, lime, like, dude. It was they used to have another one. It was like cucumber, like some other like thing. That well, they had like Gatorade. a carrot one, I think. Yeah, it was some. There was like yeah. some weird, like bunch of vegetables in Gatorade, yeah. and I was like, you can't have that yeah, in no, Gatorade. I'm not drinking fucking V8. I'm drinking Gatorade. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> all right. I think that's gonna round it out. Brock's got to get out of here. Um, yeah, mama's made dinner. All right. Well, I'm glad to see you back in town. This is our first ever live recording, so like both of us in person. Way so, better. Uh, you know, I'm if it doesn't sound good, I'm gonna make it sound good. But <laughs> um, yeah, Brock, thank you for coming on. Yes. I will catch you later. See you, man. This is a quick editor's cut. Just realized that we didn't record an actual outro and didn't address the fact that we completely skipped the. MLB news and uh, the MLB team of the week. Uh, apologies for that. We're running a little bit short on time, but um, once again, I want to thank Brock for his return. Hopefully we'll get to see him quite a bit more uh, in these next couple of weeks. And um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We're going to look to do a few more in person uh, with each other. So Look forward to that. Make sure you're following on all the socials. Make sure you're following on all the podcast platforms, downloading everything and looking out for everything second and short coming from us on the content side. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to see y'all next week, Wednesday's episode. Once again with Brock, I'll catch y'all later. Peace.